Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. On today's show, we're going to meet the Department of Minnesota VFW Commander, a new Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network, and check in with the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. But first, it's time for Generally Speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. This week marks the 12th anniversary of Minnesota Military Radio. When this program began in 2010, it was aired solely on its flagship station, Twin Cities News Talk, and sponsored by iHeartMedia. Now Minnesota Military Radio is broadcast on 65 radio stations across the state and has produced 650 unique shows. This program would not be where it is today without the radio stations and listeners across Minnesota who support the show each week. For the past 12 years, the Minnesota National Guard has relied on Minnesota Military Radio as a place where our servicemen and women, both past and present, can tell their stories. The radio show provides an excellent means for hearing about resources for our military-connected families. Regular partners on the show are Beyond the Yellow Ribbon designated organizations, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA Medical Center, and many organizations and individuals that want to support our women and men in uniform and their families. Congratulations to Minnesota Military Radio on reaching such a significant milestone. I look forward to continuing our partnership for years to come. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. As I said at the opening of the show, we're going to meet uh, today in the first part of the show with the uh, Department of Minnesota VFW Commander. His name is Dale Hogeveen. Uh, and Dale, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you very much, Tom. Dale, uh, I want to start out with, uh, understand you served a couple of years in the United States Army. I uh, was privileged to serve 22 years on active duty, and uh, I can say with all honesty that I still miss it. Well, you started out as a as a uh, Army soldier and uh, moved up through the ranks and then had an opportunity to become a warrant officer. I did. I uh, enlisted as a nuclear weapons electronics specialist, and then uh, uh, by the good fortune of timing and circumstances, the warrant officer MOS in that field uh, was having some difficulties uh, getting soldiers to apply. And uh, so one of the warrant officers that I worked for at my first assignment uh, convinced me to apply, and uh, and I was a- appointed uh, to W1 in 1982. So uh, one day discharged as a Specialist 5, next day sworn in as a Warrant Officer. And moved all the way up to Warrant Officer 4. I did. Uh, I served approximately 14 and a half years in the nuclear weapons field. And then uh, when the Berlin Wall came down, part of the, the treaty stipulations uh, resulted in the Army getting out of that business, uh, and then I was reclassified into the uh, Military Intelligence Corps where I uh, completed my career and, and was ultimately uh, promoted to Chief Warrant Officer 4. And, of course, all of us that have served in the military have a little, have a little issue in jokingly about military intelligence, right? Oh, yes, sir, <laughs> <laughs> and and understandably so. Uh, there there were times when when the best I could do was shake my head. But more importantly, the warrant officers got to stay with uh, their organizations longer than some of the officers moving through every three years. And so you were the backbone there and, and able to help some of those commanders uh, get in and out of that uh, that duty quicker. Yes. Uh, in the, When I was in the, uh, the nuclear weapons field, uh, those 
positions were considered space imbalance. So you spent much more time uh, on overseas assignments than you did in the, the continental United States. Uh, when I reclassified to MI, uh, I had greater stability at that point. And, and as a warrant officer, you are the, the technical expert in the unit. And, uh, yes, and you, have, you have a lot of, for that unit. Right, a lot of opportunity to, uh, to guide commanders and right. hopefully to, to make good decisions. So you started in the Army in uh, 1977 and retired in 1999? That's correct. Congratulations, 22 years in the Army. That uh, I'm sure that served you well. It has uh, very well. I, like I say, I, I truly enjoyed it. I At times, I still miss it, but but the military is a, a young person's game. So what led you to the Chaska VFW and being a commander down there for five years? Uh, when I retired from the military, we moved uh, back to Minnesota to be closer uh, to both my wife's and my family. And uh, I was busy uh, pursuing a second career. And at one some point in that process, my my wife suggested that I look for a, a little better work-life balance. And uh, so I, I stopped in at the VFW, the post commander at the time happened to be in his office, uh, told him to, to give me the sales pitch. I wanted to hear what the VFW was all about uh, and joined that day. Uh, I, I was going to be the guy who sat in the back row, didn't get too involved, and uh, uh, it obviously did not work out that way in the long term. And now here you are as the current uh, state of Minnesota department commander for the VFW. How many years later? Well, I've I joined uh, in 2010, so basically uh, 12, 12 years. But those 12 years, uh, I, I served at one point as uh, post commander for five consecutive years. Uh, got elected at the district level. Uh, ended up serving as a district commander for two years, and then continued to pursue uh, the opportunity at the state level. And and I've been given the privilege of uh, commanding uh, an outstanding organization uh, for this year. Well, congratulations on being becoming the uh, department commander for the state of Minnesota. We're talking to Dale Hogeveen on Minnesota Military Radio. Dale, we want to get into this a little bit now for our listeners that might not understand who's eligible to join the VFW and what's the mission. Well, membership in the the uh, VFW is limited to those who have served honorably in combat or uh, as as a member of an expeditionary force, uh, service on the Korean Peninsula, uh, its airspace or territorial waters also qualifies uh, as that conflict never officially ended. Uh, so, you know, our membership now is, is largely our Vietnam veterans. Uh, they comprise the, the largest military uh, group. Uh, but all the conflicts uh, since then, uh, places like Bosnia, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Southwest Asia for the, the first Gulf War in 1990-1991, uh, if, if you've served in any of those uh, parts of the world and you served with honor, you are eligible for membership in the VFW. So basically, if you've served in a war zone, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, any of the any of the current wars, then you're probably eligible, and you should probably go down there and uh, and say, "Hey guys, what are we doing?" 
and I would I would say not probably. You should come down and and talk to us. We we need you uh, as a member, and your membership is valuable. Whether you feel uh, you've got time to commit to our projects and our programs, uh, a lot of our members joined when they were younger, had families, uh, and maybe didn't have a lot of time to to commit to the organization at that point in their life. But at some point, you know, your children get older, they they move away from home, and uh, and maybe at that point in your life uh, you, you'd be able to uh, contribute uh, even more. But your membership is valuable uh, no matter what. Yeah, Commander, I understand that you currently have just under 200 posts in Minnesota. Uh, we have 198 posts, uh, We and those posts are located in nine different districts throughout the entire state. Uh, I've got posts uh, down in the I-90 corridor. I've got a post in International Falls. I would think wherever you are in Minnesota, you, there should be a VFW post somewhere near you and close enough that you could go up there once a month for those meetings or maybe stop in for lunch, breakfast, something like that. Yes, uh, we we are well represented throughout the state. Uh, and as I, I said about membership, uh, we need new members. Uh, we want new members, and, and we would certainly welcome anybody's questions or, or inquiries as to uh, what we do or how can they join us. Commander, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Commander's Task Force, which is made up of the eight federally chartered uh, veteran service organizations, including the VFW, and how important it is when you're going up to the state legislator to talk about all the members when you're talking about uh, issues of concern to our veterans. We're speaking with Dale Hogevin, uh, the state commander of the VFW here in Minnesota and Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. We've been speaking with Dale Hogevin, who is the state commander for the Veterans of Foreign Wars here in Minnesota. And, uh, Dale, we were talking about the fact that I think you said you have 198 VFW posts around the state. And I can remember from my days uh, uh, as a life member over in Hopkins, uh, I volunteered too many times and did too many things. And one day they invited me to be, become a member of the Military Order of the Cooties. How do you explain that to our listeners? <laughs> and the, the Military Order of the Cootie is an is the honor society, I guess I would call it, uh, for the VFW. Uh, you have to have made uh, what is considered a worthy contribution to the VFW uh, to be invited to join the Cooties. Uh, they're uh, maybe a little more irreverent than the VFW, uh, but they do tremendous work uh, visiting our veterans' homes, visiting the, the VA hospitals, and uh, and helping us provide for the needs of those veterans. Get a little silly in the fundraising, but they they donate funds. They go to the hospitals. They do some great work. So if you haven't heard of the military or the cooties, go down to your local VFW and ask about it. You'll have a ball. Absolutely. So Dale, uh, I want to talk about uh, when you become state or department commander. Most of the commanders have a commander's project, and you've picked a very interesting organization this year for yours. I have. Uh, I and and my auxiliary president uh, Sonia Taji. Uh, our joint project is in support of uh, the military Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans, uh, specifically veteran homelessness. Uh, the state of Minnesota has done an outstanding job of achieving functional zero in 85 of our 87 counties. 
Uh, we've got some work to do here in the metro, but uh, MACV is uh, an integral part of that solution. Of course, MDVA uh, is very uh, focused on achieving functional zero. And, uh, and then the long-term challenge obviously becomes to sustain uh, functional zero. And uh, in Minnesota, we've, we've made tremendous progress, but, uh, but that is a mission that will most likely never uh, end. Yeah, when are you done? Because you might have a new one tomorrow, and we've got to take care of them too. But uh, your commander's crop project means for you and your auxiliary president that you're going to raise as much fun, funds as you can this year and, and help MACV to turn that into some new homes for our veterans that need them. We are, and uh, and hopefully uh, we're off to a very good start. Our posts have been uh, have been very generous uh, thus far, and, and I anticipate that will continue. And, of course, we would certainly welcome – uh, any public or corporate donations uh, to support that project as well. And this has been the last few years. Uh, the governor's pressed this. The Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs has has been working hard on it. The Minneapolis VA is in there working on it. And, of course, MACV is kind of leading the charge. It's Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans. So what a great choice for your commander's project. Congratulations, Commander. Thank you. Commander, I want to talk about uh, another organization that because you are the department commander, you're automatically a member of, and that's called the CTF, the Commander's Task Force. Could you explain that to our listeners? Uh, the Commander's Task Force meets on a monthly basis. Uh, we're, we represent uh, all of the veterans, the federally chartered veterans organizations. So we've got uh, Commander of the DAV, Commander of the American Legion, uh, paralyzed veterans, uh, the Jewish war veterans. Uh, so, American Legion. Yeah, collectively. Green Corps League, eight of them. Collectively, uh, we meet and and then we work on uh, priorities that we establish as a task force, and then we we do that in concert with uh, the priorities of MDVA, uh, and then uh, the. The real uh, beauty of that task force is that we occasionally meet with the governor, and uh, and we have the opportunity to uh, to express, you know, what our legislative priorities are, what we would like to see accomplished uh, within the the state, and uh, and then it also gives the the governor and the uh, and Commissioner Herkey of MDVA uh, the opportunity to share with us. Uh, what some of their goals and objectives are as well, and uh, and then we can uh, hopefully enlist the support of of our members of each of these organizations, uh, reach out to our uh, state legislators, and uh, and hopefully uh, convince them that that what we are trying to accomplish is worthy of their vote. We're speaking with Dale Hogavine, uh, state uh, commander of the VFW here in Minnesota on Minnesota Military Radio. So, Commander, the, the the commanders and presidents of the of those eight uh, federally chartered veteran service organizations get together monthly, establish a, some priorities for their legislative priorities in concert with the MDVA and the governor and so forth. And then we point every year towards Veterans Day on the Hill, and you publish a list of your priorities for this year, and we get as many veterans up to the Capitol as we can that day, and they meet with the, their elected officials, and they say, these are the things that our veterans need help with. Uh, Veterans Day on the Hill is 
is an important event. Uh, we, we were able to uh, to actually go to the Capitol uh, this past spring in April after having been absent for uh, two years because of the COVID pandemic. And the uh, big focus was on a veterans omnibus bill. Uh, what that did was, was uh, put all of the legislation affecting veterans into one bill. And uh, by doing so, uh, made it much more difficult to hold hostage any individual uh, piece of legislation, as has often uh, happened in the past. So critically important to achieving uh, some of our objectives. And then uh, what we hope going forward, uh, we're going to pursue that again uh, this coming legislative session. And then uh, what we would desire is that that becomes the normal way, an accepted way of doing business with regard to legislation that affects veterans and their families. We certainly hope that will become the tradition and it removes the politics from it because it's all about veterans. And it passed both the House and the Senate with one dissenting vote. So it was nearly unanimous. Great work. But back to membership. When well, Collectively, when the Commander's Task Force goes over the hill, you're representing all the members of the DAV, the American Legion, VFW, all of those organizations. So it's really important that for our veterans out there, if, you're, if you haven't joined a veteran service organization, do so. Add your number, add your name to the group that you guys are representing when you go up to the Capitol. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, politicians pay attention to the number of potential votes that any organization represents. And uh, that's true when we uh, have veterans hats on the hill here in Minnesota. Uh, We also go out to Washington, D.C. in February of each year to meet with our representatives and our United States senators. Uh, The number of votes that we represent as an organization has an impact, and uh, and they certainly uh, pay attention to that. And, uh, and again, for us to remain uh, relevant and to have our wishes and desires heard and, and actually considered, yes, those membership numbers make a difference. Commander, I think 2022 might be the year of the veteran. We had the omnibus bill for veterans here in the state of Minnesota, and then they passed uh, the burn pit legislation, commonly referred to as the PACT Act, out in Congress. Uh, a lot of good things happened this year. Uh, the, the PACT Act in particular uh, – our overriding concern as we uh, pursued passage of, of that particular piece of legislation uh, was that toxic exposure, and, and I'm sure most people have heard about the burn pits that were uh, ever-present uh, in, in the last decade over in, uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq. We did not want that to become the, this generation's Agent Orange. And uh, we're incredibly uh, grateful uh, that the legislation was passed ensuring that that those medical conditions uh, are recognized, they're presumptive, and, uh, and the veterans uh, that are suffering will be provided with the medical care uh, that they have earned. Commander, just a few seconds left. Your message to our listeners is if you're eligible, come sign up and become a member of Minnesota's VFW. We need you, we want you, and w- any contribution that you can make, your your membership by itself is extremely valuable to the organization. 
Uh, so, yes, if you have any questions, uh, please contact us. Commander, thanks for joining us today on Minnesota Military Radio. You're welcome, Tom, and I uh, thank you for the opportunity to share our story. Thank you, sir. That was Dale Hogeveen, State Commander of the VFW on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to meet another Beyond the Yellow Ribbon Network. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. In a moment, we're going to talk with the Minneapolis Building and Construction Trades Council. But first, it's time for the Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. In partnership with the Lutheran Social Services, Minnesota Service Corps is a nation-leading program designed to bring essential community-based services directly to veterans and their families across Minnesota at no cost. Due to its unique structure, this program also provides resources to previously underserved areas in greater Minnesota. Services include individual and family counseling, financial counseling, debt management, addiction counseling, disability service, and in-home counseling. The goal is to help veterans and their families to develop skills and draw on their own strengths to bring about successful and lasting family stability. After serving our country selflessly, veterans and their families can know that we stand behind them and we're ready to serve them. For more information or to request services through CORE, contact your CVSO or County Veteran Service Officer or call 1-888-LINKVET. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. The Minneapolis Building and Construction Trades Council is the umbrella organization for union construction crafts. They seek to ensure state-of-the-art training programs, livable wages, and safe working conditions for men and women in the construction industry. And joining me now is the president of the council, uh, Joe Fowler. Joe, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks for the opportunity. Did I get that all right? Is that the current, that's your one of your titles? That's exactly it. So you're the president of the Minnesota Building and Construction Trade Council, but you have another title. You're the business manager. Is that of the Construction General Laborers Union Local 583? Is that correct? 563 out of, out of Minneapolis here. Yes, it is. Oh, I need my glasses. 563. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the Trades Council recently uh, went through a process to become a yellow ribbon network. How did that all come about? Where did where did the idea for, for becoming Yellow Ribbon come from? Well, I mean, the, the trades have, have been supportive of our military service members and families for a long time. And we had uh, an opportunity here in 2019. Uh, a few of us were able to uh, go overseas with serving our troops uh, to Kuwait. Uh, so that started building a little bit of uh, uh, passion uh, to try to do something more. Uh, and then we had the uh, civil unrest uh, that was going on where the Minnesota National Guard was called in. And the trades just were seeing how uh, there wasn't – the support for them wasn't all the way around, I'll say. Uh, and the trades were thinking about that of these are our citizen soldiers, uh, our coworkers, our teachers, everybody else, you know, giving up what they do on a daily uh, to try to make sure that everybody else's property, places, et cetera, um, was still there the next morning or, you know, the week later. We said, what can we do to show the military uh, that we support them, um, uh, specifically the Minnesota National Guard? How do we show them that the trades are there to support them? Uh, and we had heard about uh, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon uh, and thought, well, that what might be a way to do it. So had some conversations with a couple folks that are very familiar with the program, Brought that to the board, and the board uh, uh, 
that's made up of the managers from all the different 15 affiliates said, yeah, let's do that. Um, and we ended up passing a resolution at last year's convention uh, in 2021 uh, where the Minnesota State Building and Construction Trades Council would go on record to uh, make its efforts to become a Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization. And just about a year after that, we were able to achieve that. Joe, you know, when I think of the construction trades, you know, I think of all those different specialties, electricians and carpenters and all those things. A lot of your members have to be veterans. Did you have any idea how many? I We don't necessarily have the best tracking mechanism for, for everybody who's a veteran because you have to self-report that. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I have learned uh, from being around uh, several of the folks in the military is uh, they are quite humble most times. So they don't want to be out there bragging about it or, or anything like that. So they have to self-identify, self-report, or we don't know. What we do know is we have lots that are within our trades. Um, I wouldn't doubt that we're in that 10% range even. Um, so, or military family related anyway as well. I think the veterans are, are willing to check a box to identify as a veteran, but a lot of your members probably were were veterans before anybody ever asked them to self-identify or anything else. Right. But as I look at the trades, they've always been, that's, that's where our our veterans come from. That's where our members come from. That's where, you know, they've always been very supportive of the military and a lot of them served in the military. Absolutely. So this seems, this seemed like a natural thing to become yellow ribbon. Was it, was it a difficult process? It was time consuming, but I don't know that it was necessarily difficult because we had, uh, we had some good, good supporters and some good tutelage uh, on how to do it. Uh, One of our steering committee members is uh, Colonel Kevin Olson. Uh, and he was integral into getting the program going. I may have, uh, you know, nudged him and called in a favor, said, hey, you want to come over and be on our board? And, uh, you know, he helped us with that. Annette was, uh, although I know she has left that role now, uh, Annette was very helpful in getting it going. Uh, and then uh, I have some support from some other folks like Colonel Ed Suarez, uh, who's very happy about us becoming a BYR organization. And You're talking about top leadership. Absolutely. Informer of the Minnesota National Guard. So you were to you were you got the right people on the case. <laughs> I cheated. <laughs> That's all right. Anytime you can get uh, Kevin Olson's attention and he can help speed the process, usually turns out pretty well. Yes, it does. Uh, if you give him a task, it will be accomplished very quickly and efficiently. We're speaking with Joe Fowler, who's the president of the uh, Minneapolis Building and Constructions Trade Council, uh, who uh, just this last July were you proclaimed? Yep. Yep. At our convention. At the convention. So pretty neat deal up on the stage, I would guess. Yeah, we did it down in Mankato. It was an outdoor event. It was blazing hot. Um, But, yeah, we did it outdoors. Uh, We were able to have uh, some of our affiliates bring their banners and everything else down. It was a little too windy to fly the flag from the crane that day. Um, That would have been a little icing on top. But, uh, yeah, we made a show of it. Did you talk to Kevin Olson about it was too much heat and too much wind that day, sir? You. Couldn't you have dialed this in a little better? Well, that's the one thing he couldn't control because he helped us plan that event for sure. So your membership, uh, you're made up of a lot of different companies, a lot of different members. I would guess that they were fully in, in favor of this. Yeah, they really were. And and we couldn't, we can't do anything as an organization without the support of our affiliates. Um, there's 15 different affiliated trades with the with the Minnesota Building and Construction Trades Council, and they were all supportive of it. Um, we have several of them that have signed on. Uh, as volunteers for the different outreach efforts uh, and and is are trying to help us continue to grow, uh, you know, our volunteer outreach. And one of the commitments you make when you become a Yellow Ribbon organization is that you're going to try to hire more veterans. Absolutely. 
So I, I assume you're working with the Minnesota National Guard and Deeds and, and everybody else trying to find veterans. And I've always thought, you know, I'm a Vietnam veteran myself, pretty easy to show up and put in a good day's work, eight hours or 10 hours, whatever it takes, when, when nobody's shooting at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've never had that part of the experience. But, yes, I think it's a it's a fairly easy to show up, get a good day's Good day's pay, uh, work eight hours, 10 hours, like you said, whatever it is, and you go home with something to accomp- that, you, that you accomplished. So your experience is the veterans make the bell, they show up, and they go to work. That's uh, Well, that's what I think. I think veterans and their, their, their family members make great apprentices and or journey persons. And the reason why is they show up on time, uh, they, they take direction well, and they work hard. Um, and if you have those qualities, we can teach you the other stuff. Now, Joe, I got to ask you a business question. We've heard over the last couple of years that everybody's looking for people, uh, and in the trades, I've heard that uh, there's all kinds of business out there. There isn't really anybody left on the bench anymore, is there? Some trades are pretty empty. Others have a few folks left. Um, but yeah, we're in a recruitment uh, scenario right now with the infrastructure dollars that'll be coming in specifically to Minnesota. Um, it's going to be a boon in construction for all of our affiliates and. Uh, Good, good folks coming in is what we need. Now, as a council, are you supporting the, the apprenticeship programs and finding money to help train the uh, uh, folks in the trades? Certainly we do. We're typically self-funded through our apprenticeship models, but we're all registered apprenticeship programs, which we consider the gold standard uh, in apprenticeship programs. And Minnesota's got some of the premier ones. Our, the training facilities that some of our affiliates have are state-of-the-art, top-notch. I mean, we're talking some of them are 80,000-square-foot facilities just to train a trade or bo- or bigger. Um, we do it well here in, in Minnesota when it comes to the apprenticeship, and certainly we're pushing for uh, funding for registered apprenticeship and workforce models. Joe, we're going to have to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the apprenticeship programs and the trades and, and the opportunity in the trades. We're speaking with uh, Joe Fowler, who is the president of the Minneapolis Building and Construction Trades Council on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. We're speaking to Joe Fowler, who is the president of the Minnesota Building Construction Trades Council. I think we said Minneapolis before, but this is a statewide organization, correct? Correct. Now, Joe, we were talking a little bit about the apprentice programs and the trades. And when we talk about the trades here in Minnesota, there's a lot of different specialties. Can you name a few? Certainly. Laborers, carpenters, operators, roofers, sheet metal uh, millwrights, uh, uh, plumbers, uh, pipe fitters, sprinkler fitters, teamsters, uh, for the driving carpenters, electricians. All right. That's There's good. 15 of them. <laughs> uh, uh, here's what I want to follow up on there. Uh, you said there's an apprenticeship program, uh, your council funds, some of this stuff. So if young people want to get into the trades, they can get paid and you'll, and you'll help them get the education they need, and become an apprentice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, a lot of the trades uh, are looking for folks, um, whether you're in school right now looking to come into the trades or whether you're outside of school uh, and you're just looking for a change in your career, reach out to the trades. Reach out to the Minnesota Building Construction Trades Council. We'll put you in touch with one of our affiliates. Um, our affiliates all have registered apprenticeship programs, which is, again, the gold standard to our the way we look at it for the curriculum. Um, we, we have state-of-the-art facilities for our members uh, to attend and, and learn additional skills. And you can, for veterans, earn while you learn. You can use your GI Bill while you're taking training uh, to get paid while you're taking training because you don't necessarily get paid to get tra- to take the training. Uh, you have to take time off of work or do it after hours 
to get through those registered apprenticeship programs. But the veterans can earn while they learn and use their GI Bill to help cover some of that that timing. Uh, Joe, I've got grandchildren that are just graduating from from high school, and and all that's on their mind, and all they talk about is going to four year college, going to four year college. Uh, there is an opportunity for people graduating from high school to get into the trades, make some good money, become apprentices, move up to be journeymen, uh, good jobs, and they make pretty good money, pretty good career, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I, I happen to be second generation, so I had the advantage of knowing about it uh, before I graduated, but literally the day before I graduated, uh, I joined a laborers' union when I was, well, it was just before I was 18 years old. Uh, and put in what is now 22 years uh, into the trade. I did go back uh, about five years after I started and got a, a degree in construction management, but it was a lot cheaper going to a community college uh, and getting paid at the same time while while I was uh, doing my training or my schooling. And so um, for you, you started in the trades, then you got into management, and then you switched over to the, the labor union side to, to try to take care of all your members. Yep. I'm in the office now. So I, I, my back doesn't hurt near as bad every day pouring concrete. <laughs> but the trades, uh, from what I hear and what I've seen, they're looking for people. And, and there's there's lots of jobs open. There are. I mean, it, it can be a sixty to $80,000 career real easy for folks coming out. Um, some of the trades are, you know, upwards of $30 an hour as apprentices. Um, and you get your benefit package, which includes health care. Typically, it's family health care coverage. Uh, not just individual, and you have a pension of some form that allow you to retire with dignity. Um, and so, journeyman can get up to six figures uh, fairly quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Some of our trades are up over fifty bucks an hour um, as a journey person uh, when it's some of the the different skilled trades that we have. Absolutely. So it's an option. It's something that uh, young people might want to consider. Uh, good jobs, good hard work, but you you get paid well. And and uh, let's repeat what you told me a little bit ago. For veterans, they've got a little little special path. Yep. So veterans, uh, the GI Bill counts uh, for your schooling when you're going to a registered apprenticeship program, which our affiliates have registered apprenticeship programs. So when you're in the trades, you typically don't make money when you're not working. So when you're training, you're not necessarily getting paid. But as a veteran, you can use your GI Bill to help cover some of that so that you're bringing in some income while you're taking your training uh, courses and working through your apprenticeship. So if any of our listeners, especially the veterans, want to check out the trades, where do they go? How do they start? Uh, the Minnesota Building and Construction Trades Council or buildingstrongcommunities.org. We have a statewide organization. That's a diversity, equity, and inclusion program uh, that went statewide last year. Uh, we're recruiting now for it, and we're looking for women, minorities, uh, and uh, veterans. Um, so it's targeted uh, at those indiv- individuals. So if you're interested, reach out. Joe, congratulations on being proclaimed as the Yellow Ribbon Network, and uh, thanks for joining us on Minnesota Military Radio. Thank you for the opportunity, Tom. So Joe Fowler, who is the president of the Minnesota Building and Constructions Trade Council, uh, and if you're interested in getting into the trades, just look that up online, Minnesota Building and Construction Trades Council. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Joining me now is Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Director Kelly, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Yeah, hi, Tom. It is a pleasure to be back. Good to have you, sir. Uh, I was uh, out to visit a few weeks ago. You had a flu clinic out there, and I got in a line, and before I got out of there, I got the flu shot, and I got a COVID booster, and uh, they even let me go have a little bit of lunch and sent me back to work. Well, geez, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, you know, uh, we have uh, we have uh, Thursday uh, clinics, you know, three consecutive Thursdays we had uh, flu clinics and, and COVID for those that wanted them, and uh, 
so the lines were long, and it was a popular event, but, but uh, uh, happy to hear your experience, and I'm glad it went well for you. Uh, Tom, if I could, I, I wanted to just make one quick mention. I, I, I wanted to, uh, to thank you and recognize you. I understand this is your 12th anniversary and your 650th show, and, and uh, I can't tell you how much that's meant to the uh, Minneapolis VA, and I, I'm so pleased that you continue to include me in, in, in the great military, military, uh, military radio broadcast. And, uh, but, you know, uh, well done. Another big, uh, another big year for you, big anniversary. Well, director, it's been a, it's been an honor and a pleasure to do this show for twelve years. And every time we get a guest from the Minneapolis VA, we learn things about it. And and I think your phone rings, and uh, we get more veterans in there asking uh, for your help. But uh, yeah. we're thrilled to live in a city that's got one of the best uh, VA clinics in the in the world. Mm, well, thank you, director. Uh, COVID. We've been talking about it way too much for two and a half, three years. Uh, are, is there any? Uh, conclusion is, is is it over? Is it going to be with us every year with the flu? What do you, Tom, you know, it, it's way better, right? I mean, I think that's what your listeners have experienced, and and uh, you know what we have seen here is that our number of inpatients have continued to to decrease, and and uh, you know we're still doing a lot of swabbing, and you know people are still getting COVID and not getting quite as sick as they used to in, in the early days, we'll call it, but. Uh, you know, we're still doing the precautions, but I, I, I hope we don't have to do those uh, forever. But, you know, one of the things that we're kind of observing, you know, with now that we're getting into the flu season, and you've seen all the RSV, mostly in young uh, kids, but, uh, you know, masking up is really given a lot of good protection uh, for our veterans who come to the hospital and for our employees. And so uh, I suspect we'll be masking for a while, and I think that's, that continues to be a good thing. But I'm very thankful that COVID has gotten better. Director, every time I come out there, I see the construction moving along, and uh, I keep waiting to see you in your in your hard hat out there inspecting everything. But uh, are we getting closer to the point where we start on the new women's clinic? You know, we we had intended to open our specialty clinic, which is the one that uh, is just before the women's clinic, and 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 as your listeners come in, it's on the left hand side of the main building. And then those uh, pesky, uh, you know, uh, supply chain delays uh, moved us back a couple months. So we we are we are uh, by regulation uh, precluded from starting the women's clinic until we uh, buckle it up on the specialty clinic. But that's probably now going to be uh, December, January, and we'll break around in the women's clinic uh, right after that. And so, and and in about a year after that, we'll open the women's clinic. But it's all designed. It's paid for. We are we are ready to get the thing going and. Uh, we had a women's forum a couple weeks ago, actually last week, and a lot of women called in, and, and, and they are anxious to get that building up, uh, as are we. So we're getting closer. Director, I hope that thing gets built soon and uh, we can come out there and maybe do a, another live show from the, the new Minneapolis uh, VA Veterans Women's Clinic. I'd That's really great. look forward to that, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, Director, uh, we're coming into the, the end of another year, 2022. Uh, how, are our veterans... Uh, shaping up? Are they being taken care of? And and I would guess you're keeping some of the virtual medicine that we've discovered over the last couple of years. You know, it's it's uh, veterans have come back, of course, for their health care. There was a lot of delay and, you know, and so a lot of built up demand or pent up demand. And so so that veterans are back. We're sort of back to normal in that respect with face to face visits. But there are some areas and, and I probably highlight uh, mental health, Tom, where our veterans are very much accustomed to getting services uh, virtually and from where they live, uh, from a, one of our community-based clinics. 
and and that is uh, that's that's here to stay. You know, we we have always been uh, aggressive in telehealth in the VA. You know, that doubled down during COVID, and and again, what we have learned is that, you know, we can do that safely, and with a high level of satisfaction for our veterans. So. I fully expect that to continue. And, and again, veterans want to be seen face-to-face. We, we of course, will do that. But uh, we can do a lot of our work uh, virtually, and, and veterans typically like that. And it you know, saves them a lot of driving around, a lot of hassle. So, so it's working. it continues to work. Director, nice to know that out of a pandemic, we've learned some ways to deliver services even better, and, yeah. and we're going to use them in the future. Yeah. yeah. Director, thanks for joining us again today on Minnesota Military Radio. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks for having me. That was Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Dale Hogaveen, VFW Department Commander. Joe Fowler from the Minnesota Building and Trains Commission. Director Pat Kelly from the Minneapolis VA Healthcare System. Commissioner Larry Herkey of the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. And finally, Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. Please join us next week as we prepare for Veterans Day with the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs and talk to the incoming and outcoming senior enlisted leaders of the Minnesota National Guard. Thank you for joining us once again for our 650th show on the 12-year anniversary of Minnesota Military Radio, now heard on 65 stations all over Minnesota. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week and every week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. 